0: Well, this Memorial Day weekend, it was estimated that a near record 43 million Americans planned on traveling. I don't know what you think of when you hear that, but that sounds like a lot of people on the freeway. It sounds like a lot of people at the airports. I mean, maybe some of you, you traveled and it brought you here this weekend. We're glad that you're with us. But some of us, maybe that thinks, hey, it sounds like a great weekend to stay home and just enjoy where I already live. And summer is upon us, and I don't know uh, what that makes you think of or what your plans are for the summer, but one of the things we enjoy doing here in America is we enjoy traveling. Anybody go on summer vacations as a kid? Apparently none of you really grew up in families that loved you and cared about you. Uh, many of us have fond memories of, of getting into a, a car or a vehicle or getting on a plane and going somewhere, going to see someone that we love and, and care about or having a, a special experience as a family. And there's, there's certain people that, you know, one of the things that they enjoy most about the trip is the packing beforehand. Have you met one of these people? Have, maybe you are one of those people where you've got your checklist and you've just folded everything just so and you're so excited about your suitcase and you want to take a picture of it. It's, it's uh, something that I personally don't relate to. But, um, but uh, when you get on a trip, there, there's this moment that can sometimes happen where you come to the realization that you have forgotten something. Have you ever ever been on a trip like that and you've realized you've forgotten something? And maybe it's kind of an important something. Doesn't that change the trip at that moment? Like maybe our, our goal of this trip or what we were thinking we're going to do is like, hey, we're going to go and we're going to really enjoy time with these people or we're going to go to this place and enjoy this special time as a family. And really, we were thinking like, oh, man, I can't wait to go to this beach. But rather than going to the beach, we're like getting to know the local like CVS for like a toothbrush or something like that. Or, you know, maybe we're trying to find out how we can get that memory foam pillow that we just can't seem to get a good night of sleep without. Where can I pick up? one of those when we when we forget things it changes the trip entirely and the way that we should think about ourselves as Christians is like right now we're on a trip we're not home our home is with the Lord in heaven and right now while we're here on earth we're on a mission trip. We're sojourning. We're, we're not where we want to be. And I think many Christians, many people who profess to know the Lord, as they think about their life, they think, I've, I've miss, I'm missing something. There's something that I need that's crucial to what's going on down here that I do not have. And the question really is, has God packed everything that you need for this life? Has he he included it all, or are there things that we're we're missing out on? And to answer that question, I'd invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is actually the passage that we're going to start studying today, but we're going to keep on studying this passage with the college ministry. It's going to be so exciting. And, And as we get into this letter of 2 Peter, it's, it's on page 1018, if you've got one of our Bibles. But right towards the end of the New Testament, as we study Philippians that we'll start next week, and we're gonna see that Paul is writing to a specific group of people in a specific place, people that he's familiar with, that he knows well, that he has affection for, that uh, he's even so he has such fond memories of his time there in Philippi. But let's read the first ver- few verses of Second of Peter together to get a sense of how Peter's writing. He says, Simeon or Simon Peter by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And we're, we're seeing here that Peter, rather than writing to a specific group in a specific place, he's writing to people, and the way he, he characterizes them is those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when I think about that, it, it just reminds me of what we've been studying these, this last month or so at our church, the Dunn series, where we've been really starting at Easter, thinking about what Jesus Christ accomplished, right? That I mean, if you think about it, having a faith of equal standing with Peter I mean, that's, that seems impressive, right? Peter's a guy who actually got to be with Jesus physically, to hang on his every word. He, he saw Jesus resurrected. He saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Uh, God had really used him to really even start the, the church by preaching that first sermon where thousands of people got saved. And, and Peter's saying that there's a group of people out there that have a faith that's at the same standing as his that's impressive. And where do we get that faith? It's, it's not because we've done great things. It's not because of anything within us. It's because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's done. Jesus has already paid for our sin in full. He's already completed all of the righteousness that could be given to us so that God would view us as being acceptable before him, of having a standing before him, of having an, a relationship with him that's already been done through Jesus Christ. I mean, is anyone else a little sad that the done series is done, like you wish you would keep on going, like myself? That's the way I feel about it. But he says that, hey, those are the people that I'm writing to. And then he says in verse two, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our lord and many times when we you know maybe we're reading through an epistle like we are in scripture of the day right now as we read through the new testament we can just kind of breeze through these first couple verses here like yeah okay who's he writing to blah 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 greetings and salutations now what is he really going to say let's talk about that but can we just stop for for a minute And, and peter is saying may grace and peace be multiplied you. Uh, grace that's talking about god's goodness god's favor that we don't deserve that that peace is that peace that we have because of our relationship with christ and and far from this just being like a filler phrase that peter's using at the beginning here like this is something he actually expects to happen with the people that he is writing to that there is an expectation that the people who are reading this are going to experience God's goodness and his peace being multiplied to them. Let me ask you this question: Is that what you expect to happen in your life this next week? That as you're looking at, at the day ahead or the, the week ahead, as you're looking towards the future, are, are you thinking like, I actually expect that I'm going to experience God's goodness? in the week ahead like I just want you to know that like pessimism and faith do not go well together right as we think about God and all that he wants to do in our lives if we're thinking like yeah I don't know how this is gonna go I don't I don't think things are gonna go very well I don't think I'm gonna really experience God's goodness he seems so far off that's not the attitude that Peter wants his readers to have Now, I mean, as you think about the future, maybe maybe a great place for us to stir our thoughts up would be thinking, have we experienced God's grace and his peace already in our lives? Anyone wanna say they feel like they've experienced God's goodness in their life? Maybe you can think of just the ways in general that God has been good to you, the way he's given you life, the way that he's allowed you to experience many good things, many enjoyable things. But turn back with me to the book of Ephesians. This is a, uh, another letter in the New Testament that we study together it's on page 976 turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and, and let's even see the similarities in the way that Paul starts off this letter that that we studied together a while ago at our church Ephesians chapter 1 one of the more epic chapters in the, in the entire Bible and, and Paul who's writing it starts off saying Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did that sound similar to what we read in Second Peter? And then he continues in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you've been placed into Christ, you have already experienced the blessings, every of every blessing in the spiritual places, it's already been given to you in Jesus Christ. And look at, go scroll down to verse seven, where it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, right? Like it's saying, Paul is saying that God is rich in grace. It's like he's got these vast storehouses of grace. And then in verse 8, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I mean, just when you hear that word lavished, doesn't that sound kind of good? Right? Doesn't that sound like elegant, like, man, lavish? Like, like, it's not like God is just kind of like giving us a meager portion. Of grace. Like, let me just give you a little bit just to get you started. If you want more, you can come back. He's like, no, let me give you like an abundance of it. Have you ever uh, in the summertime seen someone who has lavished the sunscreen upon themselves? Right? You know how their palette is a little bit different than than normal, right, because they've really gone for it. That's what God is saying he's, he's already done for everybody who's in Christ, that we've experienced that grace. It's been poured out on us in a full and rich and robust way, like that is what God has already done. But if you go back to Second Peter, he, he's saying may grace and, and peace, like far from it just being something that happened at one time in the past, he's expecting it to be multiplied to you. Now I've got a son in the second grade uh and he's pretty precocious. He's getting into multiplication tables. Anybody remember getting like into multiplication back in the day? And my son, he's 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 a sharp kid, but he comes up to me and and he asks me these questions. Like a regular part of our dialogue involves math in in our in our house these days. It's awesome. And uh, he'll come up to me and he'll be like, "Dad, what's 9 times 9?" And I I don't think he realizes I know the answer, right? Like I've I've done this before. I I've got this going on and I'm like it's 81, which you knew that, right? Like me you remember that as well, right? And, and he's so excited about learning this that, like, that's the way we should think about It's like the investment of grace that God has already given to us. It's not just sitting there doing nothing. It's multiplying. It's accruing. It's growing in our lives. Like, we should not just be expecting God to be a tiny bit good to us. Like, here's five units of God's goodness. No, like, here's five times five units of God's goodness. And it just keeps on growing in our lives, here, let's get this down for point number one, if you're taking notes here this morning, that you should expect multiples of God's goodness. Not just a little bit of it, not just a meager portion of it, but you should be expecting multiples. Like It is going to be multiplied to you. That's what, that's what Peter wants his, his readers to understand, and I want you to write down, after you write down point number one, write down the reference to Psalm twenty seven thirteen. This is going to be a verse I'm going to ask you to, to look up during the week. And this is where David says, I believe that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe it. I'm expecting it. That's what I think is gonna happen. I'm gonna see the goodness. I'm gonna see his grace in the land of the living. But then look at what what Peter writes after this. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And it's a very specific way in which it's going to be multiplied to you. It says, be multiplied to you In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, when we hear the word knowledge, we might think about college knowledge. We might think about like maybe some of the facts and figures we might get from like a 301 level course or a 401 level course in our collegiate studies. We might be thinking about information, but the knowledge and the way that it's used here—it's not talking about man. I could, I could, I could ace a multiple-choice quiz about God and who He is, right? Uh, that's not what it's talking about at all. It's talking about a relational knowledge. It's talking about the way that you know someone, not just know about someone, but you have a relationship with them to where you can say that you really have knowledge of them because you've spent time with them, because you have an ongoing uh, relationship with them. And, And I wonder if some of us, like we are expecting there to be goodness apart from the relationship that we have with God. Like, we're expecting, like, it's just going to be out there somewhere, and we're not really focused like we should be on where that goodness is going to come from, how it's going to be experienced in our lives. Go back to the book of Colossians. We're reading through Colossians right now on scripture of the day. Some of you are, are reading it along with us, but go back to Colossians chapter 3, 984, where some of us are eating popcorn and uh, we've been studying this this letter of Paul to Colossi, and we're going to read chapter Four and finish it up on on Tuesday, and then we'll write on to First Thessalonians. It's going to be a great week of getting into the Word together but uh, what paul just said what we just many of us read this last friday in chapter 3 verse 1 it says if then you have been raised with christ if, if you've been given this relationship with god if you've got this new life it says seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Maybe you're not having this kind of expectation like Peter wants you to have at the beginning of this letter because you're too focused on the things of earth, right? You're too focused on your career. You're too focused on your family and your health and your circumstances and the way from week to week things are up and down and all over the place and all you need to do is fix your eyes on the Lord. You need to set your mind on him. And this grace and this peace that are available, they're gonna be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And some of us, the problem that we have is we don't know God well enough. We might have started a relationship with him, but that relationship is not growing. It's not progressing. We're not getting to know him better day after day, week after week, and experiencing more and more of his goodness as we know him better and so we're going to talk even more about how how God wants us to do that this week but even as we just get going here this morning what what's your attitude towards God's goodness in the coming week are you thinking I'm not sure if it's going to be there I don't know if if God can really handle the problems I'm experiencing right now are you thinking like not only am I expecting to experience God's goodness I'm expecting more of it this week. I'm expecting that there's going to be more there this week than even I experienced last week. Is that the kind of way that you're going into this next week? And as we go back to 2nd Peter, he starts off and he says, "May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord." Then look at what he says next in verse 3. He says, "His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness now if you want to talk about phenomenal cosmic power let's talk about his divine power let's talk about the power that the lord has in your life now i mean this word that is used here for power in the greek is this word dunamis and it's the word that we get dynamite from has anyone ever held a stick of dynamite in their hand and considered the power of that stick of dynamite. And maybe like when you hold it, you're like, yeah, it's no big deal. But if you like the fuse and you wait for that thing to go off, you better be a long distance away, my friend, because you're going to see some power. You're going to see an explosion. You're going to see a boom as it goes off, right? Like that's what he's talking about. He's saying like, hey, when, when we think about ourselves, we might not see a lot of power. We might not think, hey, I've got so many abilities. I've got this wisdom. I've got this strength. I've got it. Many of us, when we look at ourselves, we see our lack. We see how we don't have the power that we need. But Peter is, is not focusing our attention not on ourselves, but on his divine power. I mean, if you just think about it for a moment, we're talking about the power that spoke the universe into existence, that spoke it into existence, like his words themselves even have that kind of power i mean we're talking about the power uh, that jesus christ had as he took on flesh and became a man that, that he was able to completely obey every one of god's commands he perfectly fulfilled the law never sinned one time that's a power that's foreign to me that's a power that's foreign to us. The power that he had to endure, the wrath of God being poured out on him in its full measure for our sins upon the cross, to take all of that on himself. The power that that he utilized when he conquered death and rose from the dead. I mean, that's the power that we're talking about that is available, that it says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, can I just get grammatical with you for for a moment? Would you Would you pardon my nerdiness uh, here here this morning? I mean, did anybody study grammar like in high school or junior high or anything like that? You like you might have had a language arts class. Some of you guys are like I don't really want to remember that class that much. Like I don't think I actually learned grammar that well. Maybe that Maybe that's why all the other nations of the world make fun of us a little bit because we don't even understand our own language. That's the way it works here in America. But as you get into grammar, you'll talk about like subjects and verbs and like the building blocks of a sentence. And some of you are saying, please just stop now. I don't want to hear any more about this. But as you think about verbs, there's different tenses of verbs, right, that kind of help you understand like when is what we're talking about happening? When is it happening? And if you look at it here in in verse 3, his divine power that's been granted to us, when was it granted to us? presently in the future or has it been granted to us in the past like this is something that for everyone who is in Christ it's already been granted to you it's not like you're out there on a treasure hunt this week like man I gotta I gotta find that power I gotta find those things I need for life and godliness no it's already been given to you and it says that it's granted to us all things and as I've gotten really into the Greek grammar here you know what the all things really means all things Right, I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing that it's comprehensive. There has been nothing left out that God's divine power has not granted to you. And it says that things that pertain, these specific things to life and godliness. And the word that it uses for life is not just the word that we would think about our physical lives. It's really talking about eternal life. It's really talking about that that quality of life that God gives to everyone when we get born again When we get granted a new life in Jesus Christ, we have an eternal life. And Jesus says in John 17, three, that that eternal life, it's not just like we're gonna live forever, it's the relationship that we have with God. This is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Like, I mean, that's eternal life, that God in Jesus Christ has already done everything that needs to be done so that we could have eternal life. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, there's nothing that needed to be improved upon in the work of Christ, it wasn't like Jesus said, Well, hey, I've kind of gotten the ball rolling. You pick it up from here, kind of finish it off. No, he said, To tell us, It is finished. All things, everything that you need to have life, everything that you need to have a new life in Jesus Christ, it's already there. It's already been given to you. Jesus Christ has already done the work. But then he says, To life and godliness. God doesn't want us just to have a relationship with him. He wants us to live like him in this world. He wants us to live a godly life, like a life that is set apart from the way everybody else is living to where we're living for the Lord, that we really want to live in a way that pleases him. And he's saying that everything that we need for that, it's already been given to us. I mean, think about that for a moment. When you experience a temptation this week, you already have what you need to face it. When, when you're thinking about obeying the Lord and things that he he wants you to do like you've already got what you need to be able to do this like there's there's nothing there's nothing missing there's nothing left out and look at the way it says it again that all things that pertain to life and godliness how ha- how is this happening through the knowledge of him right so just like in verse two that this this goodness is going to be multiplied. In the knowledge of God, it says that these things have been granted to us for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now let's talk about this for a second, because I I talk to far too many Christians that that when we're, we're out there, we're thinking we're powerless, we're, we're looking to ourselves and we're thinking, I can't do this. I can't really do what God is calling me to do. I don't, I don't have the power. Maybe some super Christian could do that. Or somebody like Pastor Bobby, what is he eating for breakfast? Maybe he could do something like that. But me, I'm just a lowly Christian. I'm just a normal person. And, and a lot of us, we think, hey, really what I need is I, I need to look elsewhere. I need to look, maybe, maybe I've got my own ideas about how I could try to do this. Or maybe there's some strategy or some tips out there in the general wisdom of this world. And, and so many people who profess Christ, they're on this like treasure hunt to kind of feel like, well, I don't have it, so I gotta go find it this week. And they forget, like, no, it's already been given to me. And it's been given to me through the knowledge of him who called me to his own glory as an excellence. So like, let's get it down like this for point number two. You already have all you need. If you are in Christ, you already have all you need. It has been granted to you. You already have it. It's already yours. It's already yours. But look at what it says here. It says that he's granted to us through the knowledge of him who called us, and either to or by, by his own glory and excellence. Let me turn back with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, Exodus 33 for, for a moment. And you might be saying like, okay, well, if I already have all of I, all I need, why doesn't it feel like I'm experiencing it? Why, why, doesn't, why doesn't it seem like that's the way it went for me last week why why is that and in exodus 33 we we see an exchange between god and a man who the bible talks about it in the old testament this man had a relationship with god this man had a knowledge of god there was an intimacy there was there was the uh, times where these two would have exchanges that were that were personal Uh, this is a man who really knew god and we're talking about Moses and and you if you remember from the story God used Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt out of slavery and then he led them into the wilderness and he brought them to Mount Sinai where he was going to really say hey this nation that I've brought together and which I'm the head of let me tell you how I want it to go let me give you my law let me give you my commands that are going to be for your good here in the nation of Israel. Moses goes up on the mountain, and, and you know, it's 40 days that he's up there on the mountain, and all the rest of the Israelites, I mean, they're looking at their, well, maybe they're like their sundials or, or whatever it might be, and their calendars, and they're like, what has happened to Moses? And they make one of the worst decisions of all time, and they make a golden calf, and they start worshiping it, like, that makes sense. And, and basically, like, God judges them. Many people get killed. And now we're, we're reading this exchange that now Moses is going to the Lord, and he's interceding on behalf of the nation of Israel and saying, God, we really need you to lead us. We need you to keep showing us where to go. And, and we come to the end of this exchange in verse 17 where it says, the Lord said to Moses, Exodus thirty three seventeen, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So, okay, we, we've kind of concluded this request that Moses has, has brought before the Lord on behalf of the people. And then look at, the, look at what Moses says next. Moses said, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. So, so here we are. Moses has a relationship with God, but does he seem satisfied with that relationship where it stands that day? Or does he want more? Does he want to see God more? I I, I wonder with, with so many of us, you know, maybe we're going to get to a point this week where where we're getting up, and maybe we're getting up at o dark 30. Some of us are like, Memorial Day, who cares? I'm still going to get up early. Some of us are going to wait till Tuesday to get up that kind of kind of early, and we're there, and it's still dark outside, and the coffee is not yet working as advertised, right? And we're just feeling like, oh, right, like that. That feeling that you might have in the morning, I don't know, maybe some of you bound out of bed with limitless energy, but for a lot of us, that's where we're at, and, and maybe we're at our, our table or, or whatever, and, we, and we we're gonna open up our Bible. You wanna know how that experience could be completely transformed if we started off with this same request? If we weren't just like, God, I'm just gonna check this off, I'm just gonna read this, I'm just gonna breeze through it, not really think about it very much, but if we really started and we said, God, would you please show me your glory? God, I want to know you more as a result of reading this portion of your word. Like, God, I, I need to see your glory, right? Like, if I just read it and I'm not thinking about it, uh, I'm going to miss what this passage is telling me about you, how I can actually grow to know you better, how I can commune with you. I mean, like, we're going we're gonna to see. And look at, what, look at what God says in response to this request. I mean, he doesn't, let me tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't, like, say, Moses' request denied. Sorry, not going to be good. Look, no, look at what he says. He says, I, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And God says, like, well, actually, Moses, let me just modify your request a little bit, because to really unveil all of my glory to you would kill you. Right. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the rock and I'm going to put my hand over you and, and, and I'm going to proclaim before you my name. But as, as I kind of go away, like you, you I'm going to take my hand away and all you're going to be able to handle is just the fading echoes of my glory. And you know what happened to Moses after even just seeing the fading echoes? His face was glowing like so much so that like when he came down the mountain, the Israelites are like, Moses, can you can you put a veil over your face like like it's it, he was so affected by it that he was transformed by it. it had an effect on him and that's what god wants to happen each and every day that the things that god is going to call us to do they're all going to flow from that time with the lord from that time of abiding with him of asking him god i want to see your glory i want to see it more than i've ever seen it before i mean turn with me to john chapter 15 john chapter uh, the gospel of john a uh, Uh, Another another passage that's very dear uh, to many of us Uh, was we studied it together here at our church, and and Jesus makes this statement that's just so helpful for us that we need to be reminded of uh, so, so often, and he he says in verse 4 of John chapter 15, page 901, he says this. He says, abide in me and I in you. That word for abide is the word that we, it's a Greek word, meno, which means to like stay or remain or linger. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And down in verse seven, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I I think that there's the possibility that for a lot of us, we're coming to the scripture in the wrong way. We're coming to the scripture as as merely an academic exercise or maybe something that's gonna add to our list of to-dos during the week. We need to be coming to the scripture we need to think, I'm spending time with God. I'm hearing from him. I'm letting his words abide in me and every every passage that I'm going to I'm asking the question like how am I getting to know God better by what I just read how am I understanding him more how am I understanding what pleases him what displeases him like I'm growing in my knowledge of God in my relationship with him as a result of letting his word abide in me now I mean, let's just think about this. as if we go to the Word and we're asking him to show us His glory, turn with me back to Colossians, the passage that we've been reading. let's just let's just take a gander at, at the way this could be working this week as we start out uh, this the scripture and, and we're saying, "Hey, God, show me your glory. i want I want to behold you. I want to know you better. I want to understand you more. I mean, read with me Colossians chapter one, verse fifteen where it's talking about Christ, and it it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Like many of us, we read that last week, but did we, let, did we really linger on that a little bit? Do we, do we really say God show me your glory like hey one thing I would ask one thing I would seek to see your beauty to find you in the place your glory dwells that's something we even sang here today and if you just spend a little bit of time just thinking about that where it's more than just I breeze through it there is glory that is being expressed to you like God is revealing to you who he is in a way that is majestic and glorious and excellent like it's right there, all we have to do is ask, and God is going to let all of his goodness pass before us. He's going to declare to us his name, and we are going to see his glory and go back to second Peter here, and he and he says that this this everything we need for life and godliness it's going to come through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, and it says that in verse four by his own glory uh, by which by his own glory and excellence he has granted to us his precious and very great promises he has granted to us his precious and very great promises you ever have a time where you feel like you can't find the right word that does a situation justice and you kind of almost have to like make it up or you you like add a whole bunch of superlatives on top of one another to really kind of try to express what you're trying. That's what Peter is trying to do right here. He like He's trying, when he thinks about the promises of God, like he doesn't even have all the words at his disposal. He feels like he needs to show us how great, like his precious and very great promises, like he's trying to go big and he's trying to show us how awesome it is that look at this, that they are his precious and very great promises. Like these are truths, of the lord of what he has said of what he has done that they are his but they have been granted to us i mean i i I don't know if like when we've gone through this done series have there been any like statements of fact or truth or promises about the lord that have become that much more precious like they're really the lord's but now as we've studied them we realize like they're ours mean anybody familiar with a verse in Romans chapter 8 maybe like verse uh, 1 or so that says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus I mean is that verse precious to anyone here in the room Has that verse gone to bat for you at all in the last month since we studied it where maybe there was a time where sin isn't a pattern in your life but you gave into a temptation you did something that that was wrong and, and you're feeling it You're you're bummed. You're 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 upset with yourself that you would do something that would displease the Lord. And and now there's another temptation that's right there that's trying to get you to believe that now God is mad at you, that now God doesn't care about you, that now somehow your sin has been able to really like separate you from the Lord that one time, and you've you've brought your mind back to this verse, and you're like, yeah, I mean, sin is serious. I don't want to take it lightly. But the condemnation that my sin deserves has been done. It's been finished. Like Jesus took that upon himself. And now that I'm in Christ Jesus, condemnation is never something I will experience again in my life. Like that's precious. It's very, very great. I mean, while we're on the the journey of this life, on the trip of this life, I mean, do family vacations always go the way that they are planned to go? I mean, does anybody else have some epic disaster stories of family vacations that they took on the past? I remember one family vacation we took in the Blakey household where we jumped into the Ford Aerostar. You guys remember those, those glorious minivans of back in the day, right? We piled all into the, the minivan, and uh, we were driving through Arizona. And you're seeing those signs that tell you the temperature on the side of the road. And you're seeing numbers like 113, 114, 115. And you're like, how can these things be? Is this real? Is this really good? And then the air conditioning breaks, on the Ford Aerostar. And you are looking at your precious mother who is very dear to you. And it looks as if she is Melting in the car beside you? And the plan changes at that point. It's like, no, we're pulling over. We're stopping. We're getting a hotel. How can we get into the pool as fast as physically possible? Things don't always go the way that we're planning, that we're hoping that they're gonna go in this life. A lot of us, when that happens, we're really tempted to be anxious about it. We're really tempted to worry about these things that we can't control in the future, things that, that are beyond us. And and And, and man, knowing that, if we decide not to be anxious about that but we decide to pray about that uh, with all kinds of prayer and thanksgiving that we're letting our requests be made known to God and we and we know that there's a promise that when we do that, that that the peace of God which we don't understand right that it's going to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus anybody ever put that promise to work in the last couple of weeks and you've experienced the goodness you're like hey rather than this worry quite literally eating me alive to where I feel sick to my stomach I have experienced grace I've experienced peace a peace that I'm like wow this is amazing like has that promise become precious to anyone you're like that is very great what God has been willing to do for me so I mean those are some that we've studied in the last month here at our church. But if I were to ask you, like, hey, what are the precious and very great promises that God has given to you? What would you say? I mean, do you you have on, on your mind, like Peter seems to be very excited about these things. He seems to think that these are a very big deal that God, by his own glory and excellence, would grant to us his precious and very great promises. Do you have things that come to your mind? I mean, maybe one that a lot of us have thought about before is later on in Romans chapter 8, where it talks about that for everyone who, who is right with God, who loves God, who God has called, that God is working all things together for our good. I mean, is, is, that, is that precious to any of us? Any of you ever had a time where, where something happened and you're like, how could this be good? And then later on in your life, you see it more clearly, and you're actually thanking the Lord for something very difficult that happened in your life anybody got an experience like that where you're like i can say that that promise it's true i have seen that happen in my life and when something happens that i don't understand i remember what's true i remember that like hey even if i can't really picture how it's really going i know for sure that god is working this together for my good I mean, as we think about the summer of joy here at our church, it, it really reminds us of the whole purpose of why we exist as a church, that we we look to the end of Matthew chapter 28 of what Jesus Christ himself gave the mission. What's What's the purpose of this trip that we're on? It's to make disciples. It's to spread the good news so that more people will come to know Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to be making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Christ commanded. Like, and sometimes when you're trying to do that, it, it's hard. Like some of us in this last week, we've been encouraged to pray, as we're going to read in Colossians 4 on Tuesday, for open doors. For opportunities that we could actually speak and make clear what God has done to other people. And some of you you prayed that and then the door got opened, and you're like, whoa. Now now I gotta now I gotta say something. I gotta I gotta, I gotta be ready to talk to this person. Like, like I prayed for this opportunity, and like pfft, God answered my prayer as God is faithful to do and and sometimes you're 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 sharing it with people and it's it's difficult and 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 it's hard and 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 you think about okay well i'm I'm called to make disciples do you realize there's also a promise at the end of that passage about making disciples where jesus says and behold i'm going to be with you always even to the end of the age even thousands of years later here in huntington beach all the way across the world from where jesus christ said that that promise is still true and if i'm believing it Man, I'm gonna experience it. How many times have have we gone into a time when we're trying to talk to someone and all of a sudden verses are coming to my mind that I hadn't thought about and God is just giving me compassion for this person and love for them in a way that's so much more than I would have had on my own. And it's like, wow, like I went for it. I prayed for an open door and God was with me. Like it was quite literally like he was doing it through me. Like he was making his appeal through me to this other person and it's awesome and it's because of a precious and very great promise that God has given to us now I mean you might know if I were to ask you what some of the promises are you might be able to write some of them down but we need to do so much more than just know them to be aware of them we need to cling to them they need to be precious to us so get this down for point number three on your notes cling to the precious promises God has given his precious and very great promises to you. Do do you know what they are? Are you you making use of them in in your daily life? Have you thought about them at all? Has that been something that you've brought to your mind? Maybe you think it's so important that like, man, I wanna have this on the front of my mind that you're writing it down, that you're putting it somewhere that you're gonna see it. You're getting one of those trendy letter boards and you're like, boom, let me put a promise on there and it's gonna stoke me up. It's gonna encourage me every time that I see it. We need to cling to these promises. And, and you're like, wow, this is, this is exciting. I, I loved hearing these sermons. And now, well, there's even a couple more promises. Like, like maybe some of you are thinking like, well, how am I gonna know these promises? Is there like a, a comprehensive book that we could just write them all down and I could, I could read that? And but Pastor Bill, could we publish that here at Compass HB? And, and maybe I might think, well, that sounds like a good idea, but it's already been published. It's right here in front of you. Right, like each and every day as you're going to the Word, you are going to come face to face with precious truths that can go to bat for you in the week ahead, that can actually be the conduit through which you're going to experience God's goodness and His grace. Everything that you need through these promises. I mean, let's just go back to Colossians and let's just take a perusal through the last week of uh, the last half of the last week of our lives in some ways, and let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We already read verses 15 through 20 but start reading with me in in verse 12 of chapter 1 it says giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son I mean, man, if if there was a time that you might stumble this next week to remember that the way you got qualified to be part of this inheritance, to have this relationship, it wasn't you. It wasn't you who qualified yourself. Like, God has qualified you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he has delivered you from the domain of darkness. That before you were in Christ, sin had power over you. It was a cruel master that you, even if you wanted to, you couldn't say no to it, but that's not the domain that you're living in any longer. He's transferred you. You, He's transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. Things don't work the way they used to work, and even as we think about spiritual warfare, as we think about uh, the forces of evil that are at work against us, sometimes If you were to interact with something like that, that could feel very intimidating. That could feel very scary. But we're a part of a different kingdom. There's no power that Satan and his forces have over us who are in Christ any longer. I mean, like, wow, here it is. We're just reading Colossians 1, and boom, there is precious truth there that is true of me, that it's the Lord's, but he's given it to me through Christ. Go to to chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, And you who were dead... In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some of our trespasses. Nah, that's not what it says. All our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Is that precious? Was that precious to you as you read it? This week, that, hey, there's, there's no sin that's going to stick to you. It's all been forgiven in Christ. He's canceled it. It's been set aside and nailed to the cross where you're never going to bear the shame, the guilt of that sin ever again. That seems precious. Chapter three, we've already read this passage. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And why, why is that? It's because it's where Christ is, that, that everything that we need is gonna be coming through the knowledge of him. And so we gotta focus on him. We gotta keep our, our set on him. And it says in verse three, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Whoa. That stokes me up. That like, hey, my life is not wrapped up in America. My life is not hidden in my career. My life is not hidden in the summer vacation I'm going to take in 2019. My life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ on that day, he is going to return. He is going to be unveiled. He is going to appear. I'm going to be with him. And I'm going to be with him in glory. In glory. Like, I will actually get a new body that will be able to handle the experience of God's glory. When we're in heaven, no other light source is required, there will be no light switches on the walls in the New Jerusalem. Because the glory of the Lord, it's gonna shine through and through. It's gonna light that place up and we're gonna be with it. We're gonna be experiencing it in even so much deeper and richer of a way than even Moses. All he could handle was the fading echoes. We're gonna get the whole thing. That's a promise that's for you. That's a promise that, man, if I really think about that, if it's precious to me, it's gonna change the way I think about right now. I'm not gonna be thinking about this is where my life consists. I'm gonna be thinking I'm on a trip I'm on a mission trip right now, and that's where I'm going to be home. That's my destination. That's where I'm really trying to get to. That's where my life is going to consist. And if you go back to Second Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 4 that he's granted to us these precious and very great promises, and it says, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. That's a phrase that if I, I think about it for a second that there's a divine nature different than my human nature that I am going to be a partaker of. Now, I mean, we're not saying that, like, you're going to be granted omnipotence, right? You're, you're going to be omnipresent. You can be everywhere at the same time. Where There are certain things about God and who he is that they're not going to transfer to us, but there's so many things where we can actually be like the Lord. We can actually be godly. We can actually act in the same way that God is going to act. Things like the way that God has love, the way that, that, that God has compassion, the way that that God is faithful, that God is, is righteous, is holy. Do you realize that like through these promises, Peter is saying through them, you're going to be like the Lord. You, you got everything you need for <laughs> godliness through these promises in your life. So I'm going to ask you this week, like, hey, as you're reading, you gotta be asking yourself questions of the text. Like, hey, what am I learning about God? What promises am I seeing here that I wanna cling to, that I wanna make precious to me? Because it's a, as a result of that that I'm gonna be living the way that God wants me to live. I'm gonna be like the Lord. Write down also another reference I'm gonna ask you to, to read this week, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul was writing and he was even referring to the fact that Moses had to have a veil over his face And he says this in in 2 Corinthians 3.18, all we with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So as as we're really looking at the Lord, as we're really like thinking about his precious promises, that's gonna be the process that God uses to transform us to where we're actually gonna act like the Lord. I mean, a lot of us, as we're going to read Colossians 4 on Tuesday, we've been encouraged to pray for open doors, to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. And when I think about that, another passage in First Timothy 2 comes to my mind where it also commands us to pray for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And it says that this is a good thing and it pleases the Lord. And it says that God desires all people to be saved. That, that is really the heart of our Lord. That is His nature. His, his disposition towards people who are his enemies, and as we're really looking at him, as we're really studying him and getting to know him better, that's going to become our heart as well. So when we, we are, see an example that Paul had where he's like, hey, pray for opportunities. I'm in jail for preaching the gospel. Pray for more opportunities for me to preach the gospel. I mean, like we can follow Paul's example because he had really seen the heart of the Lord and it had become Paul's heart. To when we think about praying for an open door, that's not gonna be some scary thing that we're like, I don't think that's for me. That's gonna be like, yes, I want that as well because now I've become a partaker of the divine nature. I'm actually gonna act in a similar way toward, as the Lord would act. And that's gonna give you compassion for people that maybe are, are not very fun to be around around you. That's gonna give you love for them that you're actually gonna want to share the joy that we have in Christ this summer. And it all comes from looking at the lord and, and and let me just direct your attention to this last phrase of verse four just for just for a moment where it says we've become partakers of the divine nature and it, and again it says having escaped so it, it, when we got placed into christ it, it says having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire having escaped it now when we think of that word corruption we might think of like some unjust politician. Who's like like, you know, doing shady things under the table, taking bribes, really looking out for their own self-interest rather than fulfilling their oath of office. And some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it. America, that's what we're experiencing today. That's what we think about it. But this word isn't talking about anything political. It's talking about decay. Like when a human body dies, it goes through corruption. Like that's what it's referring to. I, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being close to a dead body and smelling the smell of death. That's something we really try to insulate ourselves from that here in America. We want to be as far away from death as possible. But if, if you know what I'm talking about, if you've experienced that, you, you, really, you really understand it. And it's, it's, it, you'll never forget it when you smell the smell of death. And let me just remind you that for those of us, many of us, we can think about our old life before we end Jesus Christ, and we could see how much of a mess it was, how much corruption there was, how we thought that just by following our own desires, by doing what everybody in America is encouraging us to do by just us doing us and following our hearts like Disney has told us to do, right? We're just going in that way, and it's not leading to our life. It's leading to our death. And the stench of the corruption that's in this world because of sinful desire, it's all around us. Huntington Beach reeks of it. And I really want to plead with you. I I really want to plead with you that that when you look at the Lord and you see his glory and how good he's been to you and how much he has a heart to save people who are lost, would you pray that God would give you that same heart as well? Many of you, you're so glad. Praise the Lord, I have escaped. I've been delivered. I've been rescued from the corruption that my sin has brought. And that's what God wants to keep going in the lives of other people. I mean, we're, we're going to take over 100 college students to Malibu. This next week, and, and so many of them, they, I mean, a lot of us were like, oh, college students, those young, young pups, right? Like they're just, we're older and they're young, and it's like they haven't lived very long, but they've lived long enough to see their life fall apart. Right? They've lived long enough to experience the consequences of their sin. Would you really join me in praying that God's going to do a work so that people will escape? that corruption will you really join me in praying that as we think about our summer that it's not going to be mostly about our trips that it's going to be about seeing other people come to know this grace and this goodness that we know that we could see people escape from that corruption here this summer because of the grace and the mercy of jesus christ and as we live for him Right? What we really need, what we really need is we need to take such a look at the Lord that it's gonna have such an effect on us that the people around us, they're gonna see that person's got life. My life is falling apart, my life is decaying, but that person has found a certain joy that I don't know how to explain. And they're gonna come up to you and they're gonna say, Hey, you have what I want. How does it work? And you're gonna say, It's not from me. It's all through Jesus Christ. You're gonna get to explain to them the gospel. And that's what we need. We need to really be convinced here this morning, here this summer, in the summer of joy, that we have everything that we need in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I I once heard the story of a poor man in America who was given a ticket to go on a cruise. And this was in a day where maybe cruises were a little bit more elegant than they were, are today. There was a little bit of class associated with going on a cruise. And this poor man is so excited that someone bought him a ticket to go on this, this cruise ship. And, and, and as he's thinking about it, he's thinking, all right, well, my ticket is paid for it, but what am I gonna do about the cost of food? There's no way that I could afford the food that's going to be offered on this ship. And so what he does is he, he, he gets some of the, the, the you know, the kind of the normal food that, that he would have that's not very much, and he packs it with him, and he takes it on this trip, maybe just a few things to make some sandwiches, some very, very simple food. And so he gets on the cruise, and he's so excited, and he's walking on the decks, and he really hasn't had much opportunity to travel, uh, and, and he's just so thrilled to be there. But the thing that he's not thrilled about is the meal time where he goes back to his room and makes a sandwich and he can tell that everyone else, they are feasting. And he can smell the delicious aroma of the food that's being prepared. And as this cruise goes on, as he reaches the final day of the cruise, he he says, okay, whatever I have to do to get some of this delicious food, I am so sick of these sandwiches. I need to get it. If I need to like take a loan out or if I need to like do some work on the way back to port, whatever I gotta do, I'm gonna do it. And so he goes up to one of the crew members that's there and and he's pleading with them and he says, how can I get some of this delicious food? And the crew member looks at him in surprise and says... It's included in the price of your ticket. I mean, how many of us, we need to come to that realization far before the end of the cruise? That when we got given life in Jesus Christ, with that, we were also given everything we need. In Christ, you have all you need. Let's pray together. Your Father, we're so thankful that you have allowed your goodness to pass before us this morning. God, that you've unveiled for us just how good you are. God, that, that even, even today, as we've looked at your word, God, it feels like your grace has been multiplied to us as we've gotten to know you better God as we've gotten to know your heart for us better God the the riches of your power of your grace that we've experienced your precious and your very great promises God it's so good it's so good you are so good And God I I fear Lord even as we've spent this time looking at your goodness that there are those here among us that, that, that this talk is so foreign to them God, that right now all they know is the corruption in their life. God, their life is falling apart. God, maybe they don't even realize it. Maybe they think think their life is going well, but God, they're living in in such decay that they've become so familiar with it. It's been all they've known and experienced, and they don't know what is possible through Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. And those of us, Lord, that you have drawn to yourself, fill us with such great joy in what you've done God help us to to look at this upcoming week with such confidence not in ourselves but in you and in your power and what we already have God may our times in your word be the sweetest we've ever experienced this week God may your promises be that much more precious to us and God as we as we rise to our feet now and we as we want to respond in worship and praise. God, may we proclaim with great joy that your ways of loving us, they are so high and that you are good. We do this for your glory. It's in your name that we ask. Amen.